that song, say amen. I mean, appreciate the blood, say amen. How we're saved, amen. Thank the Lord, that's good. Thank you, ladies, that was beautiful. Amen. You know, I was looking over there at the orchestra, and Alex looks like a bass player. He just looks like. You know why he looks like a bass player? He's calm, just calm. You know, I've never seen a bass player jiggle around and jump around. He's just calm. That's good. That's the way it ought to be. Amen. That was good. Amen. I like that. Mark chapter 6. Hold on to your seat belts. Buckle up. This is going to be one strong, straight message if I deliver it like I've got it. Uh, I like going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Because that way you know I'm not just picking out some hobby horse and preaching it or trying to get an outline from outline hotline on Saturday night from the sword of the Lord and, and just preach a message. We're preaching the word, amen. Let the word preach. And uh, this is a very, very pungent passage. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. That's where we left off. And I'm going to preach on the murder of John the Baptist. The murder of John the Baptist and what led up to it. What caused all this. And um, we live in a wicked and adulterous generation. I believe Hollywood's lost its morals. I don't think it ever had any. But what concerns me is I believe a lot of churches are losing their morals. And I believe a lot of families are losing their morals. And there's a, there's a disintegration of the home, the marriage, wholesomeness, um, intimacy, modesty. It's all gone down the drain in these last days. But we as Christians shouldn't be a part of it. We ought to come out from among them and be ye separate. Amen. I believe it's still in holiness. I believe that we ought to be holy people because sanctified means set apart. And set apart to God means holiness. And holiness is godliness. And so if you want to be like Jesus, you need to be sanctified. And that means holy. Holy unto him. And that means you put away the filth of the world. We're in trouble. We're losing the battle in our standards, our convictions our morals, uh, it just seems like everybody wants to blend in and be popular. And if they do, that's going to lead to the tragedies that we see in our text, the murder of the man of God. And I believe that a lot of churches are being murdered. I believe a lot of people are uh, just falling by the wayside by compromise. And it's high time that we take a stand and that we pray and that we exhort one another to be like Jesus. Let's stand on the Word of God, Mark chapter 6 and verse 14 and following. We'll have a parenthetical phrase in the middle of it where Herod goes back to the time he murdered John the Baptist. And not only did John the Baptist die, but his, all his conscience died. And you'll see that he was under a lot of torment about killing the man of God. Verse 14, Mark chapter 6. You with me? Say amen. Got your King James Bible? Say amen. You got another Bible? Go get a real one. Amen? Yeah, you will find you one. Amen? There's a pew Bible or something. Amen? The Bible says, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. Now that's Jesus. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. That's a guilty conscience. And therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said, That is Elijah. And others said, No, that is the prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself was sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, 
his brother Philip's wife. There's a problem. And he had married, for he had married her. That's a big problem. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday had a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the uh, of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I'll give it to thee. And he sweared unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee, unto the half of my kingdom. That must have been some dance, and I'll tell you why it was. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste to the king and asked him, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. The king was exceedingly sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sake, which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. He brought his head into a charger. Get the picture now, a platter with his head on it. And he gave it to the damsel. The damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up the corpse and laid it in a tomb. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the inspired and errant word of God that warns us about things like this. And God, I believe that <clears throat> the philosophy of the world today is just have one big party, and no matter what it takes, have a good time, but it's a wicked time, it's an evil time, it's a dark time, that we need to have the light of God upon. And Lord, thank you for your holy scriptures that brings light and illuminates our minds and helps us realize that we ought to have some convictions. We have convictions based on the Word of God, God convictions that bring morality, Convictions that guard our homes and guard our marriages. And convictions that will train up our children to pick the right kind of mate and be the right kind of mate. So Lord Jesus, help us in this simple story of a guilty conscience to realize how we can prevent a few things and how, God, we can get back to what you want us to have in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationship. God, please use this message to warn some lady, some young man, some young lady about the dangers that are described in this passage. God, they, may they heed it. And may it save their home one day. May God save their choice as your choice based on the spirit, not the flesh, in their marriage. And God, may you speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture now and help us rightly divide it. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I want you to notice that John the Baptist <clears throat> did not live to be an old man. 
like I am. He didn't die a natural death like I hope I do. Rather, he was murdered in his early 30s in the prime of his life. And he was murdered by a king, a tetriarch, one that was in charge of a quarter of the whole kingdom. And he had a wicked daddy, Herod the Great, was known for murder. He was known for murdering his own children and his own wife because they spoke publicly against him and because he was jealous of them. He was a wicked, wicked king. And here's his son, uh, Herod of Antipathus, that was just as bad, but he had somewhat of a conscience. And then when they started describing all that Jesus was doing, as he sent out the disciples, the news spread like wildfire because they were doing their job of lifting the Lord Jesus Christ up. He said, no, that ain't the Lord. That's John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, folks, if you ever had a guilty conscience, everything reminds you of your sin. You can't sleep. You can't eat. And if Baptists don't eat, there is sin in the camp. Say amen right there. Praise God. You can't get your mind off of it. The more you try to forget it, the more you'll remember it. And folks, I want to tell you something, folks. God gives us a conscience. And that conscience can be seared or that conscience cannot be trained because a heathen has no biblical conscience. But folks, I want to tell you something. You listen to the Word of God and you sin against your conscience, then the Holy Spirit uses uh, your brain to remind you of what you've heard. John the Baptist had a chance to preach to Herod. And I believe that because he had a chance to preach to him, and I don't know why Herod wanted to listen to him, but maybe he just wanted to see, uh, hear an uh, anointed preacher. And he was in jail, locked him up, went often to hear him preach, and he did it gladly, verse 20, that he got some conscience about him. And folks, he got some conviction about him, but he didn't follow through. It's one thing to hear the Word of God, and it's another thing to heed it. It's another thing to get under Holy Ghost conviction, but it's another thing to follow through with it with Holy Ghost consecration the next day. Amen? A lot of us get under conviction, but it goes about as far as Connector 3, Walton Avenue. We get over it real quick. Matter of fact, we turn the radio on real loud so we can get over it. We don't want to hear the voice of God. We turn on the worst TV program we can possibly turn on when we get home because we don't want to continue to hear the voice of God. Amen, that's right. We try to drown it out with Hollywood, Hollywood, or whoever, just so we won't be under conviction. But I want you to see, first of all, in verse 14, the report. The report is that he heard that it was Jesus, but he said, no, I think it's John the Baptist's resurrection. So we see not only a report in his mind that he thought it was John the Baptist, but he thought about a resurrection. He thought that the guy that he'd beheaded came back to life. And folks, it was abnormal reasoning because others said that it was Elijah and others said that it was prophets and others said it was prophets. He said, no, it's not any of them. It's John the Baptist. It's the guy that I beheaded. And so, folks, he refused to, to listen to the reasoning in verse 15. Then we see in verse 17 through 19 a parathetical paragraph. And it goes back to what John's all up, I mean, uh, Herod's so upset about. How his conscience is eating him alive and and folks, of all, first of all, we see the provoking of the murder. In verse 17, the Bible says, For Herod himself sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake. That's his wife. And that was uh, his brother Philip's wife. And they both had an affair. They both got a divorce. 
They thought it was all right. Well, John the Baptist comes on the scene, verse 17, and uh, folks, he said, he, he said this, For John said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have the, thy brother's wife. Now, folks, I like a preacher that will preach against sin. Amen. I like a preacher to step on some toes, not just to be stepping on toes. And I don't believe in ugly preachers. I'm glad nobody said amen right there, amen. I'm talking about preachers that are ugly and just want to be mean for mean's sake. There was a guy down at uh, the camp I wouldn't walk across the street to hear that said he was the most controversial uh, evangelist. I wouldn't give you 10 cents for his ministry. He ought to have been the most compassionate evangelist. And he'd call uh, ladies uh, whores from the, from the pulpit. Uh, he'd rebuke people going to the bathroom during uh, offering. And you think that's cute? That ain't cute. That's crass. And that's, and that's ugliness. I don't believe a preacher ought to be ugly. But I believe a preacher ought to have enough compassion to warn his people against sin and preach against sin. And call it sin. And, and name it as sin. And name sin, sin. And, but it ought to be done with tears. It ought to be done with compassion. Not to get a reputation that you're the most controversial evangelist in the world. Now he's the most controversial pastor. And it's a miracle that he's pastoring anywhere. But folks, wives... The wife couldn't take it. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. You get a woman upset with your preaching, you got some problems. Amen? Well, she was so upset that she wanted to kill him, but she knew if she killed him, she'd be in trouble, so she arranged it where her husband would kill him. And so, folks, if you can't kill the preacher, ladies, don't send your husband down here to do your work. Just go ahead and shoot. Amen? But please, don't kill this preacher. Amen? The rage was provoking. Look at verse 19. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, and he would have killed him, but he could, she, uh, she could not. And so we see the postponing of the murder in verse 20. And for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man. Amen. What a testimony. And the Bible says he didn't work one miracle, but he was the greatest man born of woman. So all you miracle workers and all you TV seekers that want to say that a man of God is one that's a healer or one that raises from the dead, John the Baptist was called the greatest man born of woman. And the Bible said he performed no miracles. I'll tell you why he was the greatest man born of woman. Because he was a spirit-filled man of God. He not only gave his life in death, but he gave his life in life. And he lived a separated holy life, an unusual life, he would have not been invited to any of our pulpits the way he dressed. Amen? And I ain't going to go there because I don't want to get into a controversy how you ought to dress as a preacher, but I think you ought to look like one. I think you ought to act like one. Amen? But I want to tell you something, friend. Here is John being beheaded, but he, before he got beheaded, he gave Herod the word, for he says he was holy. Folks, listen, Herod feared John because he was a just man, but he was a holy man. And he observed him, and he heard him, and he did many things and heard him gladly. He even started repenting of some things. He did many things. That's, that's referring to Herod. So he listened to John, and John influenced him. And he even delighted in, in, in listening to him because he said he heard him gladly. So folks, I want to tell you something. Oh, Herod was about to get under conviction. Herod might have got saved, but he married a wife. Let's blame it on her. Wives, y'all get blamed for everything else. Amen. But listen, I'll tell you something. 
And all just aside, you need to be careful how you marry. How many of you husbands, one of the best days of your life was when you married your, married your wife? Say amen. The rest of you missed the opportunity for eating well tonight. Amen. And having a happy home. Uh, that was one of the greatest days of my life was when I, when I married my wife. And she has been a blessing to me. She's been a blessing to a lot of people. And, uh, and I appreciate her so much. And I don't think I'd ever lasted 41 years in the same church without a godly wife, a loving wife, and a very patient wife. But if you get a wife that won't support you spiritually, you've got some problems. You get a, a husband that won't support you spiritually and lead you spiritually, you've got some problems. And so I want to tell you something, young people. Don't compromise when it comes to your home and to your marriage. Marry somebody that's godly. Ladies, attract a man the right way, not physically, but spiritually. I'll get to that in just a minute. Because fourthly of all, I want, to, I want you to see not only the postponing of the marriage because Herod was listening to preaching in the cell, but I want you to see the party before the murder. The party before the murder. Look at verse 21. And when at a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask to me whatsoever thou wilt, and I'll give it to thee. I want you to see the day of the party. It was Herod's birthday. He got all the dignitaries. Then I want you to see the dining at the party. In verse 21, they ate. Nothing wrong with eating. Amen. There's nothing wrong with dinner on the ground. Some people think that's not uh, in biblical, uh, and they take 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians out of context about the love feet and all that stuff. And, you know, some people be against eating. Uh, you got problems, amen? Can't you find something better to gripe about than dinner on the ground, <laughs> amen? And I don't think anybody in here does because we all look pretty healthy. But listen, the dining at the party. And they were having a big party. And the dignitaries at the party, verse 21, but I want to tell you what, uh, what corrupted the party. Dancing. Dancing. A lot of people like those dancers. And I don't think this dancing was square dancing. Say amen, you hillbillies. Come on right now. Come on, amen. I don't think they were do-si-doing with their long skirts. I don't, I don't believe this was um, uh, anything but sensual dancing you know a lot of people there's a lot of peer pressure on proms these days and the proms are the worst drunken party that you can send your kids to and uh, you say well uh, it's a time for them to dress up and be pretty folks if you don't expose the uh, what's under the pretty dress it's okay but most of the time it's in modesty and it's wickedness and folks I want to tell you something rock and roll music does not promote holiness. Rock and roll music does not provoke the right kind of thinking. Rock and roll music does not promote a man looking at your daughter in the right way. Say what you want to. If it's, if it's, wrong, if it's not wrong, you go ahead and get the lyrics and pray them to the Lord when you get home. Go ahead and listen to it and see if you get closer to God when you listen to that jump. 
I'm preaching now. I'm just saying in context, it's right there, friend. The dance caused the problem. Some of you that are in Christian schools, you say, well, I got left out. I don't get to go to the prom. Thank God for it. You don't have to be cool and macho, but I want to tell you something. There's a lot of young ladies that lose their virginity at a prom night. It's not a time to stay up all night. It's not a time to be free and you grow up because you're a junior or a senior and you can stay up all night. I want to tell you something, friend. There ain't nothing happened good between 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning that's good in the dark. Say amen right there. You don't, you, don't, you don't trust your children. Yeah, I trust them. I just don't trust the flesh. The Bible says abstain from even the appearance of evil. By the way, some dances is a sexual relationship standing up. Amen, come on. And that's what happened here. I didn't think I'd ever preach against dancing until I got in context. Amen, praise God. Some of y'all looking at me a little cross-eyed and some of you ain't. It's not time to pray. Look up here. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you, I want to say this, and I don't want to be cute or nothing, but because I, I, I'm past that stage. Uh, folks, anything that draws attention to the body instead of the spirit is the wrong way to draw the opposite sex. It's been in this church. Where somebody, in, in shaking time, somebody stops shaking hands and looks at a woman that's not properly dressed. I've seen it. It's very uncomfortable. We're losing the battle. I'm going to tell you something. I tell my girls, and I told them, I told them this when they were dating and when they were going up courting, I said, draw a man spiritually and you'll keep him spiritually. You draw him by the flesh and the flesh won't keep him because they'll find some younger flesh. They'll find some wild flesh. They'll find the fantasy of sin. It's more exciting over there on the other side of the fence. And I want to tell you something, folks. God gave you a wholesome desire to be expressed in marriage and marriage alone. Amen. Premarital sex is sin. Uh, extramarital se- uh, sex is sin. It's sin. It's ungodly sin. And it'll break your heart. It'll break, it'll, Daddy, it'll break your heart when your daughter goes through it. It'll break your heart when your son goes through it. There's nothing good about it. And we just try to glamorize it and make it Hollywood. But I want to tell you something, folks. What got John's head put on a platter? What is a gory death, a vile, wicked death, blood dripping on a platter? A man said, I'll do whatever you want me to do because I'm sensually aroused by your dancing. That's what happened. That's the Word of God. Same thing happened to David. David wasn't taking the bath. Bathsheba was taking the bath. Let me just educate y'all a little bit, and I think y'all know it anyway. Biologically, men are drawn by sight. Women are drawn by touch. There's a difference because God wanted you to have that wholesomeness and that love and that excitement and that pleasure in marriage only. Say amen. That's why it is ungodly, ladies, if you dress like you're in the honeymoon chamber. It's ungodly to go on a beach and be half naked. Because that belongs for your husband in the honeymoon chamber. Can somebody say amen? And men, if you've got enough guts, you ought to say amen. You don't want your wife advertising if she's not selling. Come on, say amen. You don't like this preaching, do you? Because you've done gone liberal with your thinking because you've been polluted by the world. You've got used to the darkness. But I want to tell you something, it's going to cost your daughter. 
Why aren't ladies attracted by pornography like men are? Because God gives us different attractions. Ladies, if you don't get it yet, men are attracted by sight of the flesh. The low cut, the high cut, the tight tights with a little shirt on top of it thinking that's modest. It's not modest. It still attracts men. It still gives them the shape of your body which is seen by your mate and your mate alone. But oh no, that's accepted. That's cool. But I want to tell you something, friend. It is disgusting when people try to slide in that stuff when they can't slide into it. And you think it's pretty. I ain't going to go into detail, but it's not pretty at all. And just because it's fashionable, it don't make it right. Because a lot of things Hollywood does is wicked, and it points to the flesh, and it's sensual. And I don't believe Herodias had a full-length skirt on and a, and, a, and a shawl over her face. I don't believe it. And I don't believe it was orchestra music. I don't believe it was violin music. I believe it was sensual and wicked. And Herod got aroused, and he said, I'll give you anything you want. And she never thought that his wife would go to the daughter and say, Give us John the Baptist's head because he's preached against our divorce. This ain't a sweet message. But it's needed in this last days. And whether you admit it or not, we're going down the drain quick as a society. And folks, the morals are going down the drain. And Hollywood's setting them. And it's coming in the church. The contemporary movement is full of immorality, immodesty. The, the, even, the, even the people up on stage, by the way, ladies, anytime you're on the stage, your dress is three inches shorter. Dress modestly when you're up here. Say amen right there. But I want to tell you something. Some people in the worship teams dress in modesty so they'll be popular. And people flock into the church. And they're so excited. I'll tell you why they're excited. Because it's lust. You don't like that, do you? I, you ain't amen or looked up at me yet. But I want to tell you something, friend. The truth is the truth. And men, I want to say this. You're just as guilty if you keep looking. Let me just say this. Men, you ought to be virgins before you get married just as much as the ladies. Stop, stop thinking that you've got the right to do whatever you want to do and you, won't, you, won't, you don't think women ought to have the right. You ought to keep yourself. You ought to unwrap, your, the, you ought to unwrap yourself as a gift to your mate. As your wife unwraps her and not been with everybody in the world. I, I, I want to tell you this, friend. It's sad today, but the average bride and the average groom is too experienced. And it's kind of used product because they hadn't kept themselves. And it's happened in the independent Baptist churches today, and it breaks my heart. I want to preach with a whole lot of pungency, but I want to preach with more compassion than I do because, folks, I have sit in offices where people have poured their heart out and been almost in convulsions of grief because of unfaithfulness. And it started through pornography. It started through some guy thinking he's God's gift to a whole lot of women. No, you're not God's gift to a whole lot of women. You're God's gift to one woman. And you ought to act that way. Can somebody say amen? 
This macho, camacho, playboy, Casanova philosophy is of the devil. Now, I'm glad I got off the point just a little bit, but I think I'm right on point. She danced before him. And he said, whatever, and she, he's lusting after his stepdaughter. How despicable. But you know what? If we just look to the Bible, we see what God says. Look at Matthew 5, 28. The greatest sermon by the greatest preacher that ever walked this earth. Say amen. Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28 real quick. Y'all say, I'm, I'm, a lot of y'all saying, boy, I'm glad he's going to South Africa for a couple of weeks. Maybe he'll cool off. No, I'll come back more fired up. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to look at verse 28, please. The Bible says, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. He goes on to say, If your eye offend you, pluck it out. Now why did it say, that whosoever looketh on a man to lust after him has committed adultery in his heart? Now today it's so perverted, some people do lust after men's bodies. I think you ought to cover your body up, man. But I want to tell you something, ladies. This is, this is the biological fact. Men are aroused by sight. I want the youngest girl in here to know that. Amen. I ain't, going to, I ain't going to talk to you about the birds and the bees. I'm going to talk to you about Adam and Eve. They sin. we got a sinful nature. And folks, lust is the reason they sin. Pride. Three deadly sins. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life was found in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. She lusted. And then she had pride and said, I'll be my own God. And folks, I want to tell you something. If we'll just read the Bible, we can prevent a lot of heartache. Hey, if you'll just read the Bible, go by the Bible, yield to the Spirit, you will, you will not have to live through a lot of things that some people in this room are agonizing about right now. Because of the detriment of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I mean, somebody lusts, but it says men lust. Looketh on a woman. You know what it tells me? You ought to dress, ladies, so you won't attract somebody physically, except your husband. That's what it says. I mean, that's what it says. And then men, you say, well, I can't do that. Well, you can too. It doesn't matter who, what, how you want to be popular, how you want to attract people. It's flesh. It's just flesh. And I'll say this, friend. 1 John chapter 2, turn there with me, verse 15. 1 John 2, 15. These verse-by-verse studies will get you fired up if you just read them, amen. Praise God, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. Y'all know I don't preach anything out of context, anything. I refuse to. I just want to, I want, but when I get it in context, praise God, I'm not going to take advantage of it, I'm going to let her rip because we need it. And folks, you know we need it. And you men can say amen if you want to, and you ladies can say amen if you, if you desire to, but I want to tell you something, our next generation is facing a crisis we're losing the battle there's people getting married because they're lusting 
There's people having premarital sex and feel like they have to get married. That's the worst reason to get married in the world because you feel obligated to the guy. Folks, love is not made, it's expressed. You don't make love, you express love. And folks, there's no way to express love unless you have a spiritual oneness and a soul oneness, an emotional oneness, and it's expressed physically. But the world flips it. It says, if you love me, do it. And, for, and, and matter of fact, the reason I'm dating you because I looked at your body and I want you. Is that too blunt? No, it's not too blunt. I'm trying to help the next generation. To see that old-fashioned, fundamental modesty is for your protection. God's trying to protect you. God's trying to help you. God's trying to give you the criteria of, of picking a mate. A lifetime loyalty, a lifetime love, a lifetime allegiance. Not some lustful thing that will get over about two weeks after the honeymoon and he starts wandering around trying to find somebody else. That will break your heart. Or even after 26 years, or 27 years, or 30 years, they go out hunting because they go through what you call the midlife crisis. I've had people excuse adultery and affairs for a midlife crisis. Hey, listen, we all go through a midlife crisis. That's not a reason to commit adultery. Well, you know, it's a chemical imbalance. It might be, but I'm going to tell you this, friend. It is a spiritual imbalance. Stay close to God's only hope you got. Folks, pornography is rampant. Billions, billions, and billions of dollars business. It's an ungodly business. If you want to wreck your marriage, get into that stuff. Folks, Herodias' daughter danced before Herod. And Herod said, give me, I'll give you anything you want because you have pleased me and all the dignitaries sitting here. We have just loved this half-naked, sensual dance. You say, how do you know it was that? Because square dancing doesn't excite a man. Can I get any more explicit? Say amen right there. Dancing in the spirit, going down the aisle, doesn't attract men. I've seen that in Jamaica where they dance in the spirit. There was nothing immodest about it. Matter of fact, I tried it. That was what was immodest. I tried to match her. Amen. No, no, no. Bonnie was there. She witnessed it. I just sort of stood back while she danced right up to me. I said, Lord, God, I've never seen it on this fashion. But there was nothing lustful, nothing bad about it. She, Dancing like David before the Lord. That was their culture. I'm glad it's not our culture because we'd mess it up. We'd start a contemporary movement. If somebody started coming down, well, that looks good. Let's do that. Amen. Let's hoochie cooch for Jesus. Amen. God help us. That's where we're at. That's where the thousands are downtown. Come on, say amen right there. That's why the church is packing the venue down uh, up in Chattanooga and the the, the rock and the basement and the roof and the attic, they're all packed out. Why? Because it's sensual. It's sensual. And there's no requirements of how you live. And they'll, they'll never preach a message like this. But I'll tell you what killed, I want to tell you what killed uh, John the Baptist. Does somebody think this funny? I'll tell you what killed John the Baptist. It's when Herod's conscience was killed. 
I mean, the, the sensualness and the lustfulness killed his conscience. He said, no longer is he a nice man. No longer is he a holy man. I will do anything this woman wants me to do. And that wicked woman went to mom and says, what do you want me to ask? She could have had half of the kingdom. She said, I want John the Baptist's head. And a man in his young 30s, because he was the same age as Jesus, was murdered, put on, his head put on a platter because of the lust of the flesh. Where was we going? 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. He said, this is too hard, preacher. I want to tell you what's too hard. Adultery. I want to tell you what's too hard. Premarital sex. Fornication. Marrying, marrying wrong. That's too hard. Making a mistake. and Not being able to trust yourself because you're subject to the lust of the flesh. The pride of life. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Real quick and I'll close. It says, love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, the antidote to all this is just keep in love with Jesus. Stay in love with the Word. Look at this. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, number one sin, and the lust of the eyes, number two sin, and the pride of life. Same three sin temptations the devil tried on Jesus. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Every word that proceedeth out of I'm not going to live by my fleshly appetites. But look at this. It says, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I'm going to tell you what the will of God is. The will of God is you to do exactly what the Word of God says. It's not mysterious. It's not geographical. It's just plain and simple. Do what the man says do is... Uh, Mary said about Jesus, just heed the word of God. Just when you hear a preaching, and I hope it's anointed preaching tonight, you don't get mad and want to kill the preacher or kill the membership or change churches or just get upset because you'd have to throw away half your wardrobe. No, no, what you need to realize is the best friend you ever had is those who preach against sin because they love you and they want to warn you not to go that route. And so I'll take a chance tonight. Y'all can vote on me in just a minute. And I'm out the door, and I'll go to South Africa and live. But I want to tell you something, friend. I believe you're a church that believes the truth and appreciates the truth. And that's the kind of church I want to pastor. Sexual attraction is given for pleasure in marriage. If you're not attracted by your wife, you got a problem. It's perverted. If you're attracted by another man, man, men, you got a problem. If if you don't enjoy your relationship in marriage, you got another problem. It's not just for recreation, it's for recreation. It's for pleasure. Boy, it's quiet now. Praise God. But you know what we do? We abuse it. We don't wait till we're married. 
And then we say, hey, I think I'll go get a girlfriend. I think I'll get a mistress. I think I'll get a boyfriend. And folks, I want to tell you something. That is corrupt. That is wicked. That is vile. And it'll ruin your marriage and ruin your testimony and ruin your relationship with God. It's sin. And it'll murder the, it'll murder the church. It'll murder the preacher. It'll murder the John the Baptist that tries to preach the truth. Stand for the truth and say, Behold the Lamb of God taketh away the sins of men. The ruler's delighted. And here's the reward. Look at verse 22 and I'll close. Mark chapter 6, verse 22. He said, I'll ask to me whatsoever thou will, and I'll give it to you. And so we see the desire came from mama. Well, it's good to have a godly mama, isn't it? Y'all thank God you have a mama with some standards and convictions. Amen. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something, friend. The worst thing you can do is, is have your little girls grow up to be women before they're women. Dress like women. Act like women. Just let them be little girls. Praise God. They'll be old enough soon. They got all their life to be old. Trust me. <laughs> few years anyway, amen. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's so wicked that we let Hollywood tell us how to raise our little girls and our little boys. It's wicked. It's abominable. It makes God sick. And it's destroying our society. We're in trouble. We're losing the battle. It's a dark day. And folks, we're getting too used to the darkness. We're in the shady grave area. And anything goes. And nothing's wrong. I'll tell you it is wrong. Because the Bible says it's wrong. But I want you to see this. The source of desire was the mother. And then the slaying and the desire was John's head. And the speed that desire said by and by. And that word means immediately. And so here it is. In verse 23 he sets a decree. And he sweared unto her. The king swears. When he swears, it's law. He sweared unto her, Whatsoever thou ask of me, I will give it to thee unto the half of the kingdom. She could have been a rich, sensual dancer. But look at this. And when she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And he said, The head of John the Now, folks, this is not just a story. This is an account of a murder. This is an account of a martyr. This is an account of a man that did nothing but preach the gospel and rebuke a man's sin and rebuke a woman's sin, and they took his head off for it. See, most preachers won't last long preaching like this. I mean, I guarantee if I preach this in the average church today, they would run me out on a rail before we got up and finished this message. But this ain't an average church. If it is, it, it, it's not a church. A church believes in preaching the whole Bible. So the pride in that decree in verse 26, it says, And the king was exceedingly sorry. He still had a conscience. He still thought, John the Baptist was resurrected from the dead and he still thought, my word, what did I do? I beheaded him. I beheaded him. He took responsibility for it. But he was exceedingly sorrowful. Yet for this oath's sake, and for the sake 
which sat with him, he would not reject her. You talk about peer pressure. Young people, don't dress, act, and dance out of peer pressure. Don't live out of peer pressure. That's why Sunday school is important. It's positive peer pressure. Amen. That's why old-fashioned preaching, old-fashioned service, old-fashioned camp meeting, it's positive peer pressure. So that's a little too strict for me. I'd rather be a little too strict than liberal and wicked because I'm going to tell you something. Your kids will suffer for it. And they are suffering for it. Pride. He would not, he wanted to, he could have said, hey, I promised you monetarily half of the kingdom. I didn't promise murder. He could have said it. But he looked and he saw all those dignitaries sitting with him and said, I ain't recanting. I'm exceedingly sorrowful because I like old John. And he's a good man, he's a just man, he's a great preacher. But I ain't going to change my oath. And I will tell you what that is. That's the third salmon in the I want to tell you what, a lot of people would get right with God if it wasn't for pride. A lot of people would change a lot of things about their dating habits, their viewing habits, their listening habits, if it wasn't for pride. But they don't want somebody to think they're some fuddy-dud, some prat, or some camp meter. They just want to be cool. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. God didn't call you to be cool. God called you to be Christ-like. And I think that's pretty cool, whatever cool is. Some of y'all younger preachers, tell me what that is. Come up here and rap with us a little bit and tell us what cool is. Oh, the pain in his decree, but the pride in his decree. But I want to show you in verse 27 the power of his decree. And immediately the king sent the executioners and commanded his head to be brought and he went and beheaded him in the prison, his own prison. And then he brought his head in a charger, that is a platter, that's a dinner platter, and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. See, he gave it to the sensual dancer because he promised her. And then she gave it to her mother because her mother hated the preacher's guts for rebuking her marriage. So folks, listen, and listen closely. Can you imagine the presentation after the murder? Look at verse 28. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. i got to hurry. My time's up, but I sat on myself because I know you can take an hour of this. Here's a dripping, bloody mess of a head on a platter, and they're bringing it to the sensual dancer and then the sensual dancer gives it to the mother and the mother must have smiled maybe not outwardly because she didn't want to look like a heathen but she was she was an A number one heathen and so was he and so was she and the man of God was humiliated dripping with blood his head I ain't going to go into more details, but it could have been a lot more gorier than that. But thank God for the pallbearers after the murder. Verse 29. 
And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took up the corpse and laid it in a tomb. Remember this morning I said you've got to be willing to sacrifice to be a disciple, to be a servant. Well, here's a very unusual task and a very dangerous task. Here's the disciples saying, we want to give John a proper burial. We request the corpse and the head, if you don't mind, because we're going to bury him. They were risking their life. They were honoring the man of God. Now, friend, you can honor the world if you want to. You can honor this contemporary movement that's going on today where everything goes, come as you are and leave worse than you came, just be cool. You can honor Hollywood and stay home when there's a good movie. You can honor the sports events. And I almost didn't have the afternoon service because I was afraid one person would accuse us of, of counseling the Sunday night service for a Super Bowl. I would never do that. The only reason I'm doing this is because I don't think it makes sense for you to come all the way back here after we stay here all day for dinner on the ground. We're having an afternoon service. Amen. If I find a place to preach Sunday night, I'll prove it. I won't even watch the Bloomer game until I get home. But I want to say this. I want to say this. The world applauds compromise. The world applauds fleshly endeavor. We ought to be like the disciples and say we're going to honor old-fashioned, fundamental Christianity. Oh, we could be running three or four hundred tonight. We'll just loosen up on the music, loosen up on the standards, and have a party. But God didn't call me to be a party director. God called me to be a preacher. God called you to be holy. God called me to be holy. And I don't know about you, but for the next generation's sake, I don't believe we ought to let our conscience die. We know what's right. We know what's right. We know what's modest. Look in the mirror. Sometimes my wife will look in the mirror and say, Honey, is this okay? She said, Over the years, is this okay? I appreciate her honoring me by asking me. But I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to look in the mirror and say, Lord, is this okay? Does this bring attention to my spirit or to my body? Because what you attract a man with is what you've got to keep him with. Amen. And then men, you need to learn to turn the channel. You need to learn to go to bed when your wife goes to bed. And you need to learn to put a, put, put a filter on your computer and not into get, get in that stuff because I'm going to tell you something. Pornography will ruin your relationship with your wife. Come on, say amen. You know it will. Some of you have had battles with it. Probably most of you men have. A lot of you men, let's put it that way, have had battles with it. It's almost every man's battle. Why? Because the devil makes it available so friend what are we going to do we're going to let John the Baptist die in vain we're going to let our conscience die in vain or we're going to say dear Lord teach us right
Oh God, it's a terrible sin. And that sin leads to other sins. If you don't believe it, interview David when you get to heaven. He never imagined he'd commit murder. He never imagined he'd get him drunk to try to get him to go be with his wife. It all started when he looked on a beautiful woman taking a bath. He should have immediately ran back in the house and said, I ain't looking that way again. And, and all the servants, go build a fence. <laughs> go build a big shade. Go build something where I can't look out on the palace and see that beautiful woman bathing. And I guarantee you she is beautiful because the devil never sets somebody in front of you. It's not. Amen. And so, folks, here's the decision. Are we going to go by what the Bible says? Or are we going to go by what Hollywood says? Are we going to go by what the Bible says and the Spirit says? Or are we going to do what the flesh says? That's the decision tonight. Father, thank you for the message. I hope that nobody takes this as a raving, raining, uh, just foaming at the mouth rebuke. But God, in context, you showed me some things studying this word. You confirmed some things. And you reminded me of all the heartache all the pain, all the anguish that immorality causes. Not only in the couple's life, but in the children's life. You reminded me. And Lord, I'd be an unfaithful steward of the truth if I didn't preach the whole counsel of God. Lord, help us fall in love with you, fall in love with holiness and righteousness, and help us, dear God, to love each other with respect and dignity and honor that only comes through your love. Lord, it's a dark day. It's a wicked day. And may we as Christians not go that way. Take a stand. Not be rebuking everybody that we come in contact tomorrow with. But God, just walk the walk. Set the example. Be so much in love with our husband or our wife that we, we show the world and tell the world that we don't need the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to have a relationship. All we need is God's love. So Lord, please grant it.